same. All right. My desire for you is that you will have a gospel holiday season. And so what I'd like to do is, uh, today I just have one slide. Isn't that amazing? That's a miracle from the Lord. Um, that, that came from our oven breaking this week and um, what else? Our battery dying this week and our tire. And God uses all those things for your benefit and our good. And so we can praise the Lord for that. But it's on my heart with the holidays coming to sort of pick up a little bit of what, where we left off last Sunday. How do we worship during the holidays? How do we, I, I, I would like you to have a gospel-filled holiday. The chief end of man is to what? Now, these are those Westminster Covenant guys, but they still put some good stuff together. What's the chief end of man? Glorify God. Yeah, don't forget the second part, to enjoy him forever, okay? And so my desire for you is that this Christmas and this holiday season would be a holiday season regardless of unbelieving family, crazy family, hectic schedules. You know, that's especially when the Lord calls us to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. You know, I sometimes share with my boys, you know, in the NBA when you're playing real basketball, the ref is not calling things. Someone's tugging on your shirt. Someone's basically got their hand in your face and someone's putting illegal screens. And yet you're still expected. Okay, now we're not a meritocracy like the NBA. But I do want to remind us that everything that we need, God has given us in Christ to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, regardless of the adversities that come our way. And in fact, God sends those adversities our way and he does allow things sometimes to get messy and difficult, but he does so out of love for us to show us that the love of the cross and the love of Christ is far greater than all of those things. And that's what will make your holidays precious. So um, we'll take a moment to pray and then I'm going to ask someone to come up and read from God's word for us. Okay, so let's pray together. Lord Jesus, how great you are and how much you love us and how you have given us so much wisdom about the way in which you have provided for each one of us this holiday season, regardless of the adversity or the difficulties or the unexpected challenges, to glorify you and to enjoy you forever and to experience Lord, the fullness and greatness of your love and to share that with others. So we rejoice in that. And would you just help us, Lord Jesus, to see your beauty and your grace through your word. In your name we pray, amen. I like to pick a newlywed. So Willie, why don't you come up to the front? You're not that newlywed, but you're in my line of vision. So if you want to avoid doing these things, you need to hide out at the back. Can you grab the mic? And would you please read for us Acts 16. Acts 16, and I'm going to get you to read verses 16 through um, 34, 16 through 34. Before you do that, maybe you can tell us how your new marriage is going and um, how we can be praying for you and Lucy. Um, yeah, marriage is pretty nice. Uh, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I think there's who always... Did, who did your premarital? Uh, Jean Grace. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Good job, good. Jean Grace. Yeah. 
I, I recommend them if, if you need someone. Um, I think something you can, you can definitely be praying for, I think, uh, I think for myself and for Lucy included, I think uh, as, as we get just older, there's, I think there's a tendency how, how to... How old are you, Willie? Oh, I'm, I'm 31. Yeah, Man, 31. Yeah. get him the uh, Denny's yeah. uh, Seniors meal. We're moving <laughs> along there, Willie. Um, Let me sit at your feet and hear the wisdom. <laughs> But uh, if you guys can be just uh, just praying, uh, yeah. As I get older, I've uh, I think there's a tendency to keep up with the Jones, and uh, I feel that temptation uh, always creeping up. And uh, just pray that my contentment is found in Christ and not in this world. Amen. Yeah. All right. Oh, Will yeah, you read for us? Yes. Uh, so Acts 16. Which which verses were they again? Um, let's see. Verses 16 through 34. Acts 16 through 34. <clears throat> oh, actually, sorry. Drop down to 25. 25 to 34, excuse me. Acts 16, 25 through 34. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison door were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down, before Paul and Silas. Then he brought uh, them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Thank you, Willie. Mm -hmm. Now, if you go back a little bit, and you go from 19 through 24, okay? 25 starts with, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. But when you go back and see what happened beforehand, is they're preaching the gospel, people are getting liberated, and people are getting angry and upset because the gospel is spreading. And so they throw Paul and Silas into jail, and they lie about them. They say these men in verse 20 are magistrate. These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison, fastened their feet in the stocks. And then we hear about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, 
And the prisoners were listening to them. Okay. <clears throat> we have an account of a worship service that takes place in a Philippian jail, right? And we have an account of, I think, anything that we would undergo at Christmas time would pale in comparison, whether, as we've discussed, camping trips or difficult in-laws or difficult family members or even being alone over the holidays, all of the different things that are struggles for us, they pale in comparison to basically being lied against, being beaten repeatedly. Um, and yet this is the context with which arguably one among many incredibly beautiful worship services happens in this prison. And there's a lot that the Lord shows us, and I think we see a pattern that happens over and over and over again in Scripture, okay, as we think about worship and what worship is. Now, when we come to the holidays, when we typically gather together, what are we typically gathering around and gathering for? Food, right? There's a family dinner, everybody gets invited, right? Uh, the game, basketball on Christmas Day, football on Thanksgiving Day, exchanging of gifts or presents. Okay, typically in our culture and our expectations, when we gather together, we're gathering around tangible material blessings. Is that fairly true? And we gather also sometimes to see family members who we haven't seen for a long period of time too. All right? But more or less, we're gathering about us and our things. Is that a fair statement? Okay. And I say this because this is how most of us were raised. This is the pattern and this is the norm and it extends into the church. But the gospel trashes all of that. And it really sets us free. Okay. But we need to learn Christ in this. In scripture, what do people gather around for worship? They gather around the presence of God. That's what draws them. Okay? It's not entertainment. It's not what I enjoy eating. It's not even the people or the friends. Though those have a place. Okay? What you gather to celebrate on holy days. Do we, do we have my bright yellow slide? Can I get my bright yellow slide? I put it in bright yellow because everybody's falling asleep. And I haven't given you coffee or stimulant yet. And uh, I'm hoping that I'll keep you awake. When believers in the Old Testament and the New Testament gathered, they gathered because of God's presence. And they gathered to celebrate God's mighty work of salvation in their life. The occasions that were the holidays or the holy days were days that commemorated or remembered a major act of God in intervening into their life that had changed everything. Right, Whether it be Passover, whether it be Yom Kippur, Festival of the Booths, the Sabbath day, they were celebrating not blessings, they were celebrating what God had done. Okay, And this is how it works from Old Testament to New Testament. God's people remember and celebrate what God has done in the past to understand and appreciate what God is doing in the present And to have hope 
for what God is going to do in the future. Okay? God's people remember and celebrate what God has done in the past. He has been faithful. He has created us. He has saved us. And he has sanctified us to appreciate what he's doing in the present. Life is crazy. Guess what? Same God. Same God who saved us. Same God to whom we belong. Same God who's doing a work in our lives, even if I can't understand it completely, and who will, looking to the future, will be the God who will lead me and bring me home. Those are typically what the holidays, or the holy days, or the holidays were for. And when we come to the New Testament, there's two in particular that are given. Baptism, three. The Lord's Day, Sunday, first day of the week. We celebrate that Christ has risen from the grave. God's mighty work of salvation. He's killed His Son to pay for your sins. He's raised Him to life to give you a new life and a new beginning. So we now, instead of the seventh day, Saturday, we gather on the first day to celebrate we are a new creation in Christ. We're a new beginning. Well, we forget that, don't we? Just talking with a brother about how often we get caught up in our past or all of those things that tie us where Satan comes and brings us back. Or even as we engage in unbelieving family members, and sometimes that's the challenge too because they don't see a new creation. They're just thinking about all the different things about our past. But we celebrate that God has worked mightily, that before the Lord, this is who we are. That he's still doing that work, even though I've got a long way to go in my sanctification. And guess what? In the way in which he crucified his son, in the way in which he led us through the waters, in the way in which he delivered us out of the bondage of slavery in Egypt, the same God who did that, if he did that and he kept his word there, he's going to keep his word that he's going to come again and he's going to bring us home. Past, present, and future. Now, we don't think of holidays in that way, but that is the seventh day, Lord's Day. That's why we gather on the Lord's Day, okay? We don't gather primarily to evangelize. We gather to celebrate what God has done, first and foremost, okay? Lord's Supper, that's the other thing that's ordained by Jesus, celebration of the cross, that we are children of grace, that God has set us free from the bondage of sin. Do I still struggle with sin? Yes. Do I still feel temptation? Yes. But you know, I don't have to say yes to any of that because sin is no longer my master. Christ is my Lord. He's paid a price for me, his life. I belong to him. And whatever Satan says and however much he pulls and however much he presses and however much he bullies, at the end of the day, I can say, look, I don't have to listen to you because I belong to Christ. He paid a price. And the cross is the testimony. And baptism. Baptism, the Lord's Supper, and the Lord's Day, the first day of the week. Okay? So all the others are kind of traditions. But nonetheless, there are these events that there are holidays. Okay? And as you go through the holy days of the Lord, you see that there's a pattern that he sets up from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And he does so first and foremost because he's created us this way. And he's created us to glorify him and enjoy him forever. Okay? And as Christ comes and dies on the cross and makes us his own, Christ makes it possible for us to participate in this way. There's kind of a blueprint that God has given and saying, hey, this is the framework where you by faith are able to participate and have fellowship and celebrate with me how much I love you. And that I'm not a God who's far away and I'm near. And it's very different from the way I grew up, at least, and typically in most church events, how we celebrated things growing up, okay? 
I was unaware because, as I said, when Christians come from around the world and they come to America during Christmas, they're confused. What's all this stuff about? It makes no sense to them. Well, very little of it bears resemblance to the scriptures. Okay? Now, as you look, what is Christ and his word? How does Christ and his word inform the celebrations of the people of God? There are typically you know, more or less, okay? Hold this loosely, but three steps that you see. There is preparation. And that time of preparation, not infrequently, is a time of hearing the word of God. It's a time of fasting and praying. And it's a time of praise and singing hymns about what God has done, okay? That is a preparation. It's a preparation to come into the presence of the Lord and to be reminded that the Lord is present. Julie used to tell me when we dated, and we would do like online because she lived a little bit far away and LA traffic made it 26 miles into a two-hour drive. She would say, you know what, when I've been away and teaching school all day and you show up on the screen, it's like, you know, don't expect a huge reaction. It's like we've been apart all day. We've been living separate lives. We've been doing all of these things. She would say, I need a little warm-up time to have some affection and to respond to you. You know, I've just left A, B, C, D, and E. You can't expect that all of a sudden you show up up here on the screen and all of a sudden it's love and roses, right? Fair statement, okay? That the way we are framed when our hearts are focused on other things, right? Work entertainment, friends, whatever it is, okay, the way the Lord has framed us, we have a very difficult time focusing on many things. We do. And so there's a need to come apart and to prepare to be and to enjoy the presence of the Lord. Guess what? This extends to our family, men. Okay? Men are to lead. Ladies are to help. Us together, we're to work in this direction. Guess what? It takes time. You can't turn and flip a switch on and off. And this is just as true vertically as it is horizontally. Lesson learned, right? Okay? It's Orthodox Jews are shutting down their stores at noon on Friday, even though the Sabbath starts on uh, Friday, even though the Sabbath starts on Saturday, right? Shut everything down, shut off electronics, do all of that stuff. So I'm not saying we become Orthodox Jews. I'm not talking about going back. I'm saying... The Lord has framed us in a particular way and has given us this guideline that there's a real need for preparation to enjoy the Lord. The same way you get an appetizer before a big dinner so that you can enjoy the food that's put before you, right? Okay, sacrifice. So in the Old Testament, there's the preparation, feast of unleavened bread, sacrifice, the slaying of the lamb and the blood, and then gathering around after the sacrifice for a meal where they partake or eat of that lamb. Okay, so you're seeing that there, there's, a, there's a bit of a blueprint that happens there. Preparation to come into the presence of the Lord. Sacrifice, which means that fellowship is costly and that God has provided a way for us to be together because our sin separates. If you want celebration, basically, and gathering together and having a meal where there is peace and rest because the relationship has been restored, Okay. Any of you uh, premaritals or married folks ever have a conflict and then have to get together and have a meal with your spouse or your spouse's in-laws? Rough times, right? (laughs) Okay, right? Because it's broken. 
And that relationship hasn't been restored. And what the Lord is saying, I've come into your life and I provided a way for you to be restored with me vertically and horizontally. So that when we gather together for a meal and you partake of a meal which I provide, you partake of me, we really can celebrate and say this is a love feast and a celebration of God's mercy and grace. Okay? Now, these are principles. They are not commands. They show us the heart of God and how he pours his love into our lives and how he's prepared us to enjoy him forever. Okay? I am not saying you should have a Passover Seder. I am not saying you should have a bris or a circumcision. I am not saying that you should pick up any Catholic. We're in the new covenant. Those things are gone. It's not the ritual. It's the character of God. And as new believers, we're in a new covenant and we celebrate the Lord's table. We celebrate baptism in the Lord's day. And we celebrate Jesus' death and his resurrection and we celebrate his birth because Christ has come. We're living as children of grace. But those principles and those rhythms are there in wisdom to help us. So what does this look like over the holidays? Family members are going to come. Things are going to be crazy. A meal is set up. Unbelieving family. Okay, the kids are out of school. You've got a sick kid. How is this all going to play out? And a designated day is set for Christmas dinner. Okay? Well, let me propose to you first that you take time with the significant others in your heart, in your home, even before those days happen, to covenant together, to pray together, that the Lord will prepare your hearts, not all those unbelievers, not all those difficult people, that the Lord will prepare your hearts to enjoy what the Lord will do. Let me encourage you before you get together with all of those people to take time to pray and to praise the Lord, even if it means singing a hymn together with those hymn books that I recommended, right? So that your hearts are filled with hymns and spiritual songs and psalms and good things of the Lord, remembering, let's before we go and meet crazy uncle, whatever, let's remember I was a wretched sinner who the Lord has shown grace. And the only reason I'm here is because God has shown mercy and grace and he's given me forgiveness. And by the way, why don't we, after we finish praising the Lord for what he's done in our lives, why don't we pray for crazy uncle, whoever? And why don't we pray for ourselves that the Lord will give us a heart of grace and mercy to be patient and long-suffering and to love them even when they're unlovable because it's going to be hard and my flesh is going to kick up and it's going to want to go. Sacrifice, okay? Sacrifice first and foremost is what Christ has done one time for all. That's what Hebrews says. So we're not Catholics. We don't go and do these feasts and every time we're re-celebrating and re-sacrificing Jesus. And it's not what we do to make things right in our family. There's one sacrifice that we celebrate and that's what we do at the Lord's table. Jesus died, past, present, and future. Sin has been dealt with. His blood is sufficient for all our sins and to make things right. Even if uncle so-and-so or even if brother so-and-so screams and yells at me, Christ's blood is sufficient to handle it in his time and his way. I can trust that. Now, I've failed that test many times. I've been at events where an unbelieving family member's hollering at me or getting in my face, and I've responded in the flesh and said, hey, look, give me a break, back off. 
right? But at the end, I see, praise God, the Lord has shown me, Mark, you have room to mature because that's not how I responded to you when you were rebellious with me. I loved you. I was gracious. I was patient. I was compassionate. And I waited for you. And in a quiet moment, I showed you my word and showed you that you were far from me and I brought you home. Okay? Grace. Okay? Then, basically, as you look at sacrifice in the end of Hebrews, Hebrews 1 through 4, preparation is being in the presence of Christ. He says, draw near with a believing heart. Put off the unbelieving heart that hardens your heart through the deceitfulness of sin. It's really your preparation is time alone with Christ and time alone with your loved ones with Christ. That's the preparation. If you're so busy with 20 zillion things and you have no time with Christ and no time with the family of God, your church family, don't expect your heart to be filled and overflowing with love and grace when you meet crazy uncle whoever, right? Okay, one of the first things that gets dropped over the Christmas holidays is your time with the family of God. Everybody disappears. We get busy. I had... Pastor Mark, you have to understand, I had this family event, I had this family event, this family event, I couldn't make it here, I couldn't make it here, I couldn't make it here. I understand. But you know what? People come back after the Christmas holidays, I gotta tell you this. They come back fleshly and crazy. Why? Because all the means of grace that Christ died to give you, we haven't been partaking in. And at the end of that, typically we're thinking of myself, 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 my worries, my worries, my worries, my job, my job, my job, my job, because we have not been close to Christ. We've walked away. And it's like, the very thing we need, we've walked away for what? A few parties? It's the other way around, okay? We need the Lord to fill our hearts with love and joy so that we can in turn do that with the rest of our families. When you get to Hebrews 9 through 13, the author of Hebrews points out, okay, that the sacrifice that's been made once for all is Christ. But then he goes on in Hebrews 13 and he talks about the sacrifices of praise, the sacrifices of doing good, the sacrifices of sharing with those who are in need. So by faith, we can participate in the sacrifice of Christ. We're not atoning for anything. We're not doing anything. But we can participate in his ministry of giving sacrificially. How? Giving of tithes and offerings. Helping those who are in need. Okay? Singing praises. Those are all part of participating by faith in the sacrifice that Christ has given. What are we doing? We're giving of ourselves. We're not taking. We're not consuming. We're not, it's about me, 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 me and what works well for me and my family. And then the third stage is, look, when we spent time with the Lord, when we're covered by his blood, when we've given our lives wholly over to Christ rather than what I want or hope or my expectations for this Christmas. Fellowship is sweet, brothers and sisters, because Christ is overflowing in your heart. The sweetest meal for the Chin family every week is Sunday. And I don't care. There's some times where Julie just get me a hot bowl of soup. It's not whistles and bells. It's because we've died a thousand deaths to get to Sunday. Okay? Saturday night, what we typically do with the kids is I, I say to the kids, I don't want you to watch TV. The only thing that we'll watch electronically is maybe a 20-minute parable or a Bible story or something like that. We're going to read, 
We're going to try and sing a hymn together as bad as their dad sings, okay? Um, last night was Hark the Herald Angels Sing, okay? And we'll read a portion of scripture and we'll read a story together. Why do I do that with my kids, whether they're saved or not? I'm trying to prepare their hearts so that when they come Sunday, even though they don't understand everything that's going on, their hearts have been tuned, okay? And their hearts have been prepared. Sunday, how do I prepare my kids? It's going to be a sacrifice today, kids. There are things that you're going to have to give up. But guess what? There's someone who's given up far more than that. Those sacrifices that you make, they're not going to make you a better Christian. They're not going to make you a better person. They're not going to make you right with the Lord. But they do give you an idea or a sense of the sacrifice that Christ made for you to be together with the people of God. And this is your spiritual family until you leave our home. Sacrifice. Singing praises together. Boys, you see it at the front. You need to stand up for the reading of the Word of God. They don't want to do it. I wouldn't want to do it if I was them either. Okay? You, let's, let's sing the song. And so the night before, we'll try and sing some of those songs on occasion. Oh, we do that for kids. No, y'all, you can't enter into the kingdom of heaven unless you become as a little child. And what's good enough for kids who might not be believers should be more than enough for you all in the household of God. And I'll tell you what, when your time is spent that way, and married couples, when you spend that time Saturday evening, honey, how can I pray for you? What's the week been like? Let's just read a psalm together, sing a hymn together, and let's pray for one another and pray for the church service tomorrow that our hearts are prepared to give in the same way that you've given us. Tell you what, Sunday, it's not about your expectations. Maybe the sermon's not great. Maybe the songs aren't great. Maybe it's a rainy day, but I tell you what, if Christ is present, because that's why we gather, we don't gather for the music, the sermon, the other things. We gather because Christ is king and he's present. And when your hearts are prepared, you will be overwhelmed by the love of God. And then when you sit down to a meal in the household of God, there is peace and there is rest because you've been reconciled vertically and horizontally. There's nothing to worry about because your hearts are filled with how Christ has made your life right. God has given us wisdom, brothers and sisters. And in order to do something like this, we need to be intentional about putting off if you are a child of God. If you're a child of God, you have the power by faith to put those things off that are distractions and to put on Christ. Okay, And this is what points towards a gospel framework for celebrating the holidays, but for every weekend and every holy day, the Lord's Day, and how to shepherd our homes and our families. Men, we need to lead this way. And we lead, as 1 Timothy chapter 2 says, by praying. We pray for the salvation of unbelievers. We remember the gospel. But we also pray for our families, including the unbelievers in our family, which may be our children. Lord, would you just... Help our kids, because tomorrow, Pastor Mark's praying, and it's going to be a huge, long prayer, and they're going to have a hard time sitting still. Would you just give them mercy and grace, and would you enable them to see your beauty and your glory? Right? Do we believe it? Do we believe the Spirit's present? Do we believe that Christ can penetrate the heart of a four- or five-year-old child? Well, let's come back to Acts chapter 16. Here are two men who are beaten up for the sake of the gospel, literally beaten up. What do they do? At midnight in the prison, they begin, what? Singing praises to the Lord. They're preparing their hearts for worship. 
They're remembering through those praises God's mighty work that he has done in the past through the death of Christ and the resurrection to understand what God is doing in the present and to have hope and assurance that God will do what's right in the future, even in this prison. And they are praising and they are worshiping. And guess what? Unbelievers see. So when we do this on a Sunday, the idea is not we're evangelizing lost people. When you go to Christmas holidays, it's not the burden I know we have is, okay, how am I going to witness to my uncle? How am I going to witness to my sister? How am I going to... Let's change that a little bit. Let's say your responsibility is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Your responsibility is to enjoy the sweetness and goodness of what Christ has done. And as your heart is filled with praise for the Lord, guess what? Unbelievers are going to see and notice and say, this doesn't make any sense at all. All the other prisoners in jail, right? What are these guys doing? They're in chains. They've been beaten. They're singing praises to their God. And guess what? God steps in. Earthquake. It opens. And what do Paul and Silas do as the jailer says, I'm going to kill myself? There's a sacrifice like the sacrifice. They could have walked out right? Forget about this guy. We're gone. They put their lives aside because they saw someone was going to die. And they say, no, we'll stay in chains. And he goes and he washes them. And what does he do afterwards? He feeds them and he gives them a meal. And through that process of their celebration and worship of the amazing gospel and the love of God, what happens? God uses that celebration to save those who are watching or he's brought in. Okay? In our evangelism this holiday, let's, yes, share the gospel. Yes, let's tell people that they're sinners and they need the Lord. But let's first start with a heart that is celebrating the beauty and greatness of our Lord and Savior, that is walking with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, that is praying to the Lord and praising him. And I tell you, the Lord will bring that to the attention of those you interact. Some will hate you for it and want you to go away. But the Lord will use that to bring others to himself, just like the Philippian jailer. Does that sound right? Okay. How are we doing for time? 12.51. Um, tell you what. I have a bunch of questions here, but I think it would be good uh, first, if we broke up into groups and just prayed for one another for the Christmas holidays, um, we'll do the same things that I did with the premarital's. Maybe in your small groups of four or five, you can share one thing that you anticipate is going to be a challenge this holiday season. You're going to be alone. You've got to deal with a crazy uncle, whatever it is, okay? And then pick two people in your group just to pray for you, for your group, that we would together as a church be able to really glorify God, and enjoy Him uh, this holiday season that we would really be able to celebrate the gospel. We'll give you 10 minutes for that. We'll let those who are parents, if you need to, to go get your kids, okay, because we want to help the child care workers. Um, there are questions that have been given from 1 o'clock till 1.15. I will try and answer those questions. Is that a fair deal? And then those who've got to cut out and bolt and those who have narcolepsy can... Is that cool? So let's break up into groups and, uh, and we'll pray for one another.